0: It's time to talk to uh, Bernard Keane, political editor with Crikey. And it's a busy night for us, uh, Bernard. The PM has been touring flooded regions, thither and yon, uh, New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania, also badly impacted. How's he being received?
1: Well, much better than his predecessor, I think it's, it's, it's fair to say. Um, Unfortunately, by the end of his prime ministership, Scott Morrison really couldn't go to disaster areas. There was the, the uh, you know, I think it was the second Lismore flood. It's sad, so sad that we've got to sort of itemise which particular flood has hit um, places like Lismore, which have repeatedly suffered these things. But um, during one of the Lismore floods, Scott Morrison went there but felt unable to actually hold a press conference out in the open or actually go and talk to, to visitors, uh, sorry, talk to residents because of uh, concerns about how he was going to be received, that's um, needless to say, improved somewhat um, with the new prime minister. And I think the drill. I think the, look, we all know the drill now. We, I mean, these these floods have been so constant that we know the drill. Emergency, we the emergency services are deployed. The ADF is immediately offered, and money is quickly rolled out. support money is quickly rolled out. Unfortunately, we've just got we've got. I think our in- capacity to actually respond to floods has improved. Um, Uh, significantly with repeated practice.
0: Now, uh, the federal government is also handing down its budget next Tuesday. How's the flood uh, assistance going to impact on it, do you think, Bernard?
1: Well, we heard during the news just then that Daniel Andrews talking about the impact on uh, agricultural production and that's that's a wider issue. I mean... um, I think as we go, this is a, a sort of the sort of issue I think that people like the Reserve Bank as well as governments need to think about going forward with with climate change, with more extreme weather, with more floods, and in time, of course, more droughts, more bushfires. We are going to see recurring impacts on. Economic activity, uh, recurring impacts on agricultural production. Sometimes, I mean, we saw this with the hurricane. uh, Sorry, with the with the cyclones about a decade ago. Sometimes affecting our capacity to export mineral uh, minerals, Uh, and of course, drought is another factor for agricultural production. These things are going to become routine, I suspect, and governments are going to have to, uh, and other policymakers, like at the Reserve Bank, are going to have to constantly factor in. Extreme weather is a significant sort of economic impact when it comes to tax revenue and overall economic growth. There's just no getting away.
0: Now, Chalmers said today, this is a human tragedy first and foremost, but it has obvious consequences as well for the economy and the budget. And, of course, uh, crops being wiped out will put pressure on food prices.
1: That's right. And, again, it's one of these... Look, Look, traditionally, the Reserve Bank tends to to use the, the economist cliche, look through these sort of one-off uh, events. So, if there's a cyclone or there's a some sort of extreme weather event that has um, caused a spike in food prices, that tends to get filtered out um, of uh, the Reserve Bank's thinking in terms of what's happening with inflation. But, you know, as I said, if this continues to get, you know, more and more frequent, if if... These inflation spikes become a regular part of life in Australia and life elsewhere as well. Then, what do we do about that? Do we continue to look through it, or do we start to recognise that this is a permanent feature of our of our environment? I mean, you know, is the is our is our climate future much more inflationary than perhaps we've been used to? It's one that uh, the Jim Chalmers of now and and in the future are going to have to uh, factor into how they go about putting together fiscal
0: policy. I'm talking to Bernard Keane, political editor of Crikey. Uh, Elbow has uh, revealed the government's infrastructure plan ahead of the budget and there have been uh, accusations of favouritism. In fact, you made them very powerfully today in Crikey.
1: Yeah, I think it's hard to avoid the sense of, of favouritism. What the government announced over the weekend was, in, in effect, its, its infrastructure... Uh, election promises sort of implementation, so these are all the promises that it made um, during the election campaign, and uh, the consequence is pretty imbalanced uh, Victoria does very well um, uh, the northern territory does extremely well queensland does very well new south Wales comes in uh, i can first, un- i sorry.
0: can understand perhaps uh a desire to help in Victoria, but why the territory? What's going on up there?
1: Well, most of the money, well, a, a, a big chunk of that money of, um, I think it's about $2.5 billion, is going to a project called Middle Arm, uh, which always struck me as an interesting name, which is basically a part of the Port of Darwin, um, which is is going to receive heavy investment to increase its potential to export gas. Now, this was announced during the election campaign, not by Labor, but by Barnaby Joyce uh, as uh, as National's leader in an effort to win the seat of Solomon, which um, they were obviously unsuccessful at doing. But the, Barnaby Joyce said we're going to spend um, uh, a huge sum of money on Middle Arm to develop this um, port aspect in Darwin. Now... That caused a lot of confusion, of course, because there is a port in Darwin, and we sold it to a Chinese company. So it was taken as a kind of a
0: really a no, port. Nobody's told me this. That's amazing story.
1: <laughs> well, that's the yes, that's that's the transformation from the China of, of Tony Abbott's era when it was uh, it could do no wrong to um, uh, to the current uh, villain <laughs> of our foreign policy. Um, but um, it's it's not an, an additional port. It's not a sort of a backup port just in case the Chinese get any ideas. It's an expansion of basically gas export uh, facilities. Now, Labor, because they too were worried about losing Solomon, they immediately promised to match that uh, Barnaby Joyce promise. So, we've got Barnaby Joyce promising a big whack of money for um, fossil fuel exports and Labor leaping to match that. So, that's what they announced on the weekend. Um, uh, Extensive funding for gas exports. Uh, of course, Catherine King, the uh, the infrastructure minister, was at pains to assure us that this would actually be about hydrogen gas exports, not, um, not uh, uh, what's called natural gas. Um, but um, frankly, what's going on in the Northern Territory at the moment in terms of fracking and in terms of major basins that uh, uh, gas companies want to develop, I think the only thing that's ever going to go through middle arm is going to be fossil fuels rather than clean, green hydrogen.
0: So we're looking at almost 10 billion in infrastructure commitments announced on Sunday. Only 1 billion to New South Wales. Surely they have cause for complaint.
1: They do indeed. Um, Catherine King, when asked about this on Insiders uh, yesterday, said that it reflected, and it was a strange choice of words, she said reflected that um, the Victorians had a different relationship uh, with us when we were in opposition compared to the New South Wales government. Now, I'm not quite sure what that means other than I wonder if she's trying to imply that um, uh, Labor in opposition went to the New South Wales government and said, well, what infrastructure project would you like and got rebuffed. I don't think that happened somehow. What I do think happened is that Victorian Labor and Federal Labor looked at each other and one said, you've got an election in May. The other said, you've got an election in November. Um, Let's see what we can work out. And um, that's exactly what's transpired to the cost of um, New South Wales. New South Wales is about a third well, it's about 30% of our GDP, of our economic activity, and, um, uh, you know, $1 billion out of $9 billion now for, uh, for infrastructure investment.
0: You and I share a very similar view to the uh, inland rail project. Uh, you think we can save quite a bit of money there if we just stop it.
1: Yeah, we, if they down tools right now and let it rot in the sun, uh, I think taxpayers would come off far better. Uh, than any effort to continue building this project. It will never make uh, any of its money back. Uh, I'm not saying that because I've got some vision of the future or because um, I'm an expert on on rail investment. I'm saying that because the original business case for the project said that. John Anderson, one John Anderson, former transport minister, wrote that business case and said, let's just run this. So, in in effect, pretending that we're just going to Sink all those costs. The uh, the then four and a half billion dollars that was going to going to cost us to build an inland rail that was just going to be treated as a sunk cost, and um, uh, it would just be treated on an operational cost basis. Unfortunately, the bill for it has um, ballooned just a little bit since <laughs> then, Philip. It's uh, it's now up to about fourteen billion. And um, well, you described uh, describe it. you
0: describe. Get very grumpy about it and describe it as a twenty billion subsidy to coal
1: miners. That's exactly what it is. I mean, the the twenty billion figure comes from the fact that it was, there's talk of them extending it. Uh, from Brisbane, so it's like the monorail. The monorail in, in Sydney started off as this uh, this innocuous little thing that was going to go around Darling Harbour, and then it sort of snaked out into the CBD. Well, the inland rail is going to snake off north of Brisbane to, uh, to Gladstone for another five billion dollars, and it is all to carry coal. I mean, this is in the business case that was originally prepared for. They're going to run it at a uh, run those services at a thirty-five percent uh discount rate. So gas uh, sorry, coal exporters will um will get um, a thirty-five percent subsidy on their uh on their uh, rail access to get their coal to ports like Gladstone uh, or elsewhere and um, they'll do very nicely thank you especially if coal prices continue to stay where they are courtesy of um, Vladimir Putin
0: now in 60 seconds or less the government has announced an ambitious goal to end violence against women and children it reminds me of uh, no child will live in poverty
1: it's uh, it's got that old of bravery to it philip i'll say i'll say this one thing about it uh, the big problem with this plan, and it's recognised, I'm not, not criticising the government about it, is we simply do not have a handle on how many women and children are being murdered uh, as a consequence of, of uh, intimate partner violence or ex-partners. Our, our, our knowledge base of this... Is, is dreadful as everyone who's tried to write about this, I think, has discovered over the last 10 years. Um, we really do need... There's talk about why aren't there more targets in this plan. Well, the big problem is you can't have targets when you don't have uh, the data, and we really need to, do need to get much, much better at, um, at uh, you know, monitoring what's exactly going on in the community when it comes to domestic violence.
0: Good on you, Bernard. Bernard Keene, political editor, Crikey and uh, Laura will be back with us next week. G'day, Potties. If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and you're missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.